Amen. Thank you, Steve, for that wonderful song to lead into the message and to guide us in worshiping the Lord today. Please turn in your uh, children dismissed to Junior Church. Um, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Actually, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 in your Bibles. As you take a moment to turn there, uh, you know, we've been talking about Genesis chapters 1 through 11 and how they are foundational to our faith. And today we're going to talk about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve as a special, uh, specific creation. I read this illustration. This woman wrote that her seven-year-old daughter, Jessica, is a deep thinker when it comes to theological questions. She says, recently we discussed why bad things happen sometimes. Rereading this, and they were rereading the story of Adam and Eve and how sin came into the world. Later that week, Jessica was ill and had to stay home from school. Feeling miserable, she told me, if only Adam and Eve hadn't eaten the fruit, I wouldn't be sick. She says, before I could answer, she added, of course, if they didn't eat, we'd be sitting here naked. As well, we can probably think of other humorous jokes about Adam and Eve. Yeah, I want to make the case that they were a special creation. And it's kind of a part one of two uh, message because next week we're going to focus on the first Adam, second Adam, which is a theological idea. Adam was a type and Jesus becomes the, the, the archetype, actually, where Adam is a type pointing to Christ. Adam, in Adam we all die, but in Jesus we all can be made alive and live forever. And that's Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15. And so it's more of the importance of Genesis right there. This morning, Timothy came in and he told me that he had something for me. Uh, his brother goes to these antique shops and stuff, and this is a, a prism. And it has a stand on it. And what you can't see, but I can, is that there's a cross in the middle of the prism. There's a cross in the middle. And it's interesting, as, and Timothy, of course, had all kinds of illustrations about some said pr- pr- uh, prism. And so I credit him with this great object lesson as we begin this sermon. You know, there's a cross in the middle that points to the whole, our whole life should be centered around the cross. And the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, all 66 of the bo- books of the Bible all point to Jesus as well. The whole Bible points to Jesus. Jesus is the center. The whole Bible points to the cross, just like, you know, a cross is in the middle of this prism. This particular prism also has a stand on it. The stand provides a foundation so it can stand up, right? And Genesis chapters 1 through 11 is a foundation for the Bible. It's a foundation for our faith. There's so many foundational elements in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. In a way, there's a stand And Genesis 1 through 11 allows us to properly understand many theological ideas. And also, of course, the light, you know, light reflects, refracts all that stuff through a prism. And also we need to live in the light, walk in the light as Ephesians 5 talks about. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are foundational to our faith. So my theme in this message is the special creation and purpose of Adam and Eve. The special creation of Adam and Eve and the purpose for Adam and Eve. So I'm going to walk through Genesis 2, 15 through uh, 25. We're going to focus on 15 through 25 today, specifically. 
You know, in Genesis 1, we see all of creation in very general terms. And and the more I study, the more I learn, Genesis 2 is specific to Adam and Eve, but it's also specific to the Garden of Eden. Let's read Genesis 2, 15 through 17 first. Verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So now we have one man, Adam. He is the only one. He has been created, and God actually takes and puts him in the Garden of Eden. It says God puts him in the Garden of Eden. And God gives him a purpose. He put Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. In verse 17, is a command not to eat of a certain tree. You're not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God lets them eat of anything else, but not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We could have a whole sermon or series of sermons of why that is. You know, I like what Dr. Charles C. Ryrie says, man was created in perfect creaturely holiness. Perfect creaturely holiness. But God did not want us to be robots. God gave us the ability to have free will. And God said, you can eat of anything else, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God did not tell them not to touch it. Later in Genesis 3, Eve responds to Satan possessing, Satan's possessing a snake, and Eve says, we're not even supposed to touch it. That could be because maybe Adam told her, don't even touch it. Don't even go near that tree. Of course, we know how that worked out. You know, there are poisonous trees today. Any of you get poison ivy? You know, I got poison ivy pretty bad. I have. You know, there's obviously other poisonous things. Now, certainly not as deadly as a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which obviously corrupted the whole human race. But throughout the coast of the Caribbean, as well as Central America, South America, and even South Florida, there can be found a pleasant-looking, beachy sort of tree, often laden with small, greenish-yellow fruits that look like apples. You may be tempted to eat the fruit. Do not eat the fruit. You may, be, you may want to rest your hand on the trunk or touch a branch. Do not touch the tree trunk or any branches. Do not stand under or even near the tree for any length of time whatsoever. Do not touch your eyes while near this tree. Do not pick up any of the ominously shiny tropic green leaves of this tree. The aboriginal peoples of the Caribbean were familiar with the tree and the sap. The sap was used to tip arrows. It is believed that the Calusa people of Florida used it in, the, in, in, in this manner to kill Juan Ponce de Leon on his second trip to Florida back in 1521. The Manch, Manchinil, this is the, the Manchinil known in the Spanish-speaking countries as the, I'm going to try Spanish here, as La Manzanilla de la Morte which translates to, the, translates to the, the little apple of death. I would prefer to just call it the little apple of death. Or as Arba de la Morte, tree of death. The fruit, though described as sweet and tasty, is extraordinarily toxic. 
Nicholas Strickland, who unwisely chomped down on a manchineel fruit on the Caribbean island of Tobago, describes what it was like. He says, I, or, or she, I'm not sure, rashly, I rashly took a bite from the fruit and found it pleasantly sweet. So, my friend also partook at my suggestion. That sounds a little bit like Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Here, take a bite. Moments later, we notice a strange peppery feeling in our mouths, which gradually progressed to a burning, tear, tearing sensation and tightness of the throat. The symptoms worsened over a couple of hours until we could barely swallow solid food because of the excruciating pain. However, over the next eight hours, their oral symptoms slowly began to subside. Recounting their experience to the locals elicited frank horror and incredulity. Such was the fruit's poisonous reputation. Poison, do not eat of the fruit. God told Adam, you can eat of the rest, but don't touch from the, the, don't eat, not don't touch, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The consequence of death would happen if they eat of that tree. Now we know they did eat from that tree and they did not die right away, but they did die spiritually right away. And they did die physically later on. In fact, as we read Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 5, and we read the different uh, uh, genealogies, we see, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, emphasizing when we disobey God, there are consequences. Just a thought. How often do we think we are going to be the exception? We can disobey God's principles, God's laws, things like that. And there won't be consequences. You know, in Genesis 3, when they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this is suicide. Some medical doctor who's done some writing and teaching with especially the Colson Center, uh, though he has other published works. I think his name is Dr. Michael Sleeth. And he's done a lot of writing and speaking about suicide awareness. And he pointed out the first temptation was really to commit suicide. Because God had already told them, if you eat from that tree, you will die. And in Genesis 3, what happens? Lucifer tempts them to commit suicide. Take that tree. And the devil is still tempting people with suicide today. It was the first sin it continues. In verses 18 through 23, God creates woman. Let's read verses 18 through 23. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now to the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, the Lord God took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. God observes the problem of man being alone. It was good. It was good was repeated in the creation account. It was good. It was good. It was good. That is a benediction which means good word. Bene means good. Diction is speaking word. So when we see in writing, 
benediction, it means somebody is to give a good word to close a service or, or something like that. So in Genesis 1, we saw repeated good word, good word, good word, benediction, benediction, benediction. Actually, I think it's technically benedictine. And malediction is speaking evil or curse. The first malediction here is in Genesis 2.18, when God says it is not good that man is alone. Malediction. Mela has to do with bad, bad word. It is not good. It's the first time we see a malediction. It is, a, it, it is the first time that we see speaking of evil. It was good, but this is not good. Man is not supposed to be alone. We are created for community. And we see that principle right here in Genesis chapter 2. This is an ethical statement. It is not good for man to be alone. It's an ethical statement. There has never been aloneness before. Never. In the Trinity, there was and is socialness. In the Trinity, the triunity of the Godhead, we see individuality and community. Social order is bound up in the nature of God because he created social institutions with the imprint of who he is. You think about that? God created social institutions, the family, with the imprint of who he is. There has never, ever been aloneness before. And that's why there is, this is the first malediction, the first bad word. It is not good for man to be alone. Supposedly, during the pioneer days, the explorer days, people would move out west. That's not supposedly, that's true. I played Oregon Trail when I was a kid. It's a good game, founded on Apple. They would move out west, and they wanted to be away, you know, right? And so as soon as they could see the neighbor's lights from a distance, they thought, we're going to move out further. Because they thought, we can be alone, but we can't be alone. Uh, there's that illustration, which I believe comes from Chuck Swindoll's book, Come Before Winter. Pastor Bobby Murphy gave me this illustration. At first, they tried to put their houses in the middle of their fields. They had fields all around, and they put their houses in the middle. Then they realized, that doesn't work. So they changed things. They started putting their houses closer together with the fields behind them. They realized they need each other for protection and safety and security. It is not good for man to be alone. It wasn't good for man to be alone in an unfallen world. This is an unfallen world right here. This is before sin entered the world. And God still said it's not good for man to be alone. And if it's not good for man to be alone in an unfallen world, it definitely is not good for man to be alone in a fallen world. In Genesis 4, the people leave the garden in about three or four weeks. I'm preach on that. And it's not just a little bit of sin after that. There's a lot of depravity, murder, jealousy, envy, anger, polygamy. As they leave the Garden of Eden. Right here, it is not good for man to be alone. So God says, I will make him a helper. It, it, there's a better translation of that, which would be counterpart. God says, I will make a woman as a counterpart. Sometimes people look at helper and they think it, 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 it means woman is less than man, and that's not true. Both male and female created in the image of God. God, God is giving Adam a counterpart. Oftentimes, that same Hebrew word translated helper right there throughout the rest of the Old Testament is used to describe God as our helper. Think about that. So Eve is certainly, woman is certainly not less than man. That same word is used to describe God as our helper. By the way, in, you know, man, Adam, the, the same word, the Hebrew word for Adam is a word used for man. 
Same Hebrew word. And so for a while, we see, we, 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 we see um, the Hebrew word Adam appears without the article, the. Just Adam, man, the. But eventually, it changes to include the article, um, the man. So translations of the Bible differ as to where they make the change from man to Adam. So actually, at first, it's the man, and then it's just Adam because it's his name. It's his name, Adam. So the Lord causes all the animals to come before Adam to show they are different. By the way, some people look at this and they think they would have all the animals they do today. And they think that would take forever. Naming all the animals, Adam would think this is, this is so boring. You know, can you speed this up? But it probably would not take that long because there would not be as many species and many types of animals. Not at that point, not yet. The NIV says the Lord caused all the animals that he had formed, past tense, had formed to come before man. Then the Lord caused, you know, none of the animals was a proper counterpart for Adam. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam, upon man. I think of this like anesthesia today. God is sparing Adam the pain and God takes a rib from Adam, crafts it and creates woman. I don't know how God did that. It doesn't really matter. It's possible he just used the DNA he already created for Adam and took the DNA from the rib and made the woman. It really doesn't matter. This is just what the scripture says uh, describing part of his process. Verse 23, Adam names the woman as he does the other creatures. And then we see the first marriage in verses 24 and 25. We talk about answers in Genesis. What do we see here? We see the origin of marriage. We see the origin of man. We see the origin of, uh, of female. We also see the origin that, it, that we need man and woman, male and female. Genesis 2, 24 and 25 reads, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The origin of marriage, a man leaves his father and mother. He's bonded to his wife and they become one flesh. This is endorsed in the New Testament. This whole passage is endorsed in the New Testament. The idea of marriage is told here. This is the foundation. The idea that a man leaves his parents to join with a woman and have family. They're naked at this point and there is no shame. This is an ironic statement considering the next chapter, when sin enters the world, there is shame. R.C. Sproul, I like what he points out about this. R.C. Sproul shares, in biblical times, nakedness brought shame. In biblical times, it wasn't enough that you just conquered an enemy, you stripped them naked. Jesus was actually crucified naked because that brought shame in biblical times. The ultimate defeat of an enemy, stripping them of their weapons and their clothing. The first redemption, the first act of God's grace, he gives clothing to Adam and Eve in the very next chapter. Sproul points out we can be comfortably naked in two places, with God and with family. He didn't include pets, though. He should have included pets. But, you know, nakedness brought shame. God brings clothing. At this point, they're naked and not ashamed. Why is divorce so bad? The person knew you, knew your nakedness. That makes it really hard after you've been joined to somebody else. And certainly sometimes there are biblical reasons for that. I want to talk about the significance of this passage to the rest of the Bible. 
Adam and Eve had purpose before sin entered the world, verse 15. Work is not because of sin. Work gives us purpose, and we are called and created to work. God gives us purpose. And when we do not work, it causes cataclysmic uh, consequences, not only, you know, not only in finances, but also psychologically. We are created to work. Adam and Eve were to be stewards of the Garden of Eden. We also must steward the resources that God gives us. Adam was not to be alone, verse 18. We also are not to be alone. This may not mean marriage for everyone, but it does mean community. We need the church. We need community. We're in a day and age where we think the virtual can replace community, and the virtual cannot replace community. Loneliness is a contributing factor to sickness and illness. We are created for community. I hope that we are realizing that more and more. Animals were not the helper that Adam needed. We love our dogs. Maybe some of us do. We love our cats. Maybe some of us do. Bill does. I love, have a love-hate relationship with my cat. I really believe cats are possessed by the devil at certain times. Um, so you need to put your head on the cat's head and say, demons out! Anyways, we love our animals, but they do not replace another human counterpart. God showed Adam the animals were not their counterpart. We see so many foundational elements in this passage of what it means to be human. God gives purpose. God gives marriage. God gives community. And we see the distinction between animal life and human life. There is a distinction, and we must not forget it. We certainly, in our culture, we are in a topsy-turvy, upside-down culture where we are forgetting the distinction between animal life and human life. We even let our dogs sleep under the blankets. How weird is that, right? There is a distinction between animal life and human life. And the humans were not, the animal was not the counterpart for Adam. Animals were not the helper. Likewise, humans need companionship and other humans of the opposite sex to procreate. God met the need for Adam by creating woman, verses 21 and 25 through 25. God provided what Adam needed. God did not create another man for Adam, nor did he create multiple women. You see that? God didn't create polygamy here. Polygamy is in Genesis chapter 4 and is part of sin. Okay, God created another woman, one woman for one man, for Adam. Marriage to this day is patterned after the first marriage. Jesus and Paul endorse this passage. If you look at Matthew 19, 4 through 5, Mark 10, 6 through 7, and in verse 8, 1 Corinthians 6, 16, Ephesians 5, 31, this passage is endorsed in multiple places throughout the New Testament by Jesus and Paul. Therefore, if we believe it is not actually true, then that changes other parts of the Bible. This is foundation. This is significant for our biblical worldview. Jesus also affirmed the special creation of Adam in Mark chapter 10, verse 6, and so must we. Luke connects the human lineage of Jesus to Adam, and so must we. Luke 3.38, Luke's genealogy of Jesus goes all the way back to Adam. Paul connects the doctrine of the church to Adam and also Eve in Ephesians 5.30-32. Paul argues for family order because of Adam and Eve, and so must we. See how many times this is in the New Testament of Adam and Eve? This is so significant. Paul references Adam in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. As in Adam, we all die. Paul attached the origin of sin in the world to Eve, 1 Timothy 2, 13 through 14. We cannot change this part of the Bible without changing the rest. Paul also connects death from sin 
to Adam and Jesus as the second Adam in Romans 5, 12 through 14, as well as 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to pick up and talk about that more next week. The first Adam and the second Adam. I read this great illustration. Adam and Eve must have had fun working together in the garden. No commutes, no child care, no financial worries. Just the opportunity to be with each other all day and feel the satisfaction of doing something together that neither could do alone. We hunger for this today. We hunger for cooperating together, meshing, working like a mountain climbing team, ascending the the peak of our dream and then holding each other at, at the end of the day. We hunger for this companionship today. God has planted this hunger deep within every married couple. It's more than a hunger to create new life. It's a third hunger, a hunger to do something significant together. According to God's word, we were joined to make a difference. We were married for mission. Marriage expert Dennis Rainey, you might know of him from Family Life Today. He says one of the missing ingredients of couples today is that they do not have a mission They do not have a sense of God having called them together to do something as a couple. But often as we begin to feel this basic longing, we don't know what it is. We don't know what's missing in the marriage is mission. We get the seven-year itch or the 12-year anger or the 18-year blahs. We think, what's wrong with us? Our companionship may not be perfect, but we have each other. And many may add, we have our children, so what are we missing? You know that as of a few years ago, the highest rate of divorce is in empty nesters. What's missing? We may be missing one third of what God created marriage for, serving him together, serving him together. Counselor James H. Olthaus writes, to try to keep love just for us is to kill it slowly. To try to keep love just for us is to kill it slowly. We are not made just for each other. We are called to be a ministry of love to everyone we meet in and all we do. In marriage too, Jesus' words hold true. In saving our lives, we lose them. And in losing our lives in love to others, we drink of life more deeply. We are called for mission, mission through Christ. So as I began... As you look at this really neat prism, we see the cross right in the middle. I encourage you, remember, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And Jesus is the foundation. And Genesis 1 through 11 are significant, foundational to our faith in Christ. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would keep you at the center. I pray that we would live a mission for you. Please bless and guide this dear congregation that I serve, that I'm blessed to serve. Guide them, guide them, guide all of us as we leave this place. Lord God, that we will leave with you in a relationship with you. And if anyone here has strayed from you, may today be the day to turn back to you. To turn back to you and say, Jesus, I need you. I need your help. I've condoned sin. I've lived in sin. Repent of that. And get help through Christian counsel and things like that because it still holds true. We are not meant to live alone. We need 
Christian small groups and Sunday school and Bible studies, Christian prayer partners and accountability partners. We need community. We need the church. So Lord God, help us all as a church be interwoven together. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.